All right. Hello and welcome just to family. This is giving you something to talk about or just a live TV as I like to call it. I'm your host, Melissa Kretschler. I'm an identity coach, spiritual teacher, business mentor, creator and founder of not only just a live TV, but also the Women Sporting Women Can Network. Today's episode has been sponsored by A Phoenix Identity. Go and check out their seven things that can destroy any relationship. These are the seven things that will kill any relationship, no matter whether it's romantic or friendship or family. So go and check that out. Download a link in the comments. So, or link in the description, sorry. Um, and I'm going to hand it over to my guest speaker to introduce themselves. Hi. So I'm expert love educator and relationship coach, Riley Molinario. I am so happy to be here and I will definitely be checking out that list. <laughs> it's an interesting one. I'm not going to lie. It is absolutely interesting. Um, I'm going to pull it up while we're talking kind of do the opposite of what of what they are because for me it, those are what it is so uh, I guess I haven't specified the title today so we are talking about what makes a relationship thrive or what creates like what are the foundations of a thriving relationship so as a relationship expert what do you think your top ones are what what are your favorite ones to to discuss or that people might not think about when it comes to what creates a thriving relationship Yes. So I basically describe it in three steps. I love numbers. I like things that are simple and easy to understand. So basically, we create a thriving relationship in three steps. The first is to create a common vision. It's to have an agreed upon set of values, boundaries, expectations, and goals in the relationship. Are you and your partner compatible? Do you have the same non-negotiables? This is really the sort of nucleus of the entire operation. This is the starting point and what I call the first step or the foundation. Then we want to be able to master relationship intelligence. Relationship intelligence is the ability to navigate your relationship successfully. As the love educator, I have to say that love is simply not enough. Love is not going to give you a thriving relationship because love is simply a deep feeling of affection for someone. Love is what gets you in the door and relationship intelligence is what carries you through the end. So relationship intelligence includes all of the stuff. It's all of the tools and techniques that allow us to go through the day-to-day, week-to-week, year-to-year in a successful way. It's things like compassion, communication, interdependence, It's all of the things that we need to be successful. The third step is to cultivate joy. It's how do you show and spend and enjoy quality time? How do you invest in intimacy, the physical, sexual, emotional, spiritual intimacy with you and your partner? So when we are going through these three steps, one of the most important things is to do them in order. A lot of times we try to skip to the joy, right? We get into a relationship, we love someone, and then we just want to have a lot of fun with them. But we miss step one and step two. And the second important thing is to understand exactly what these things look like and how to implement them in your relationship. Absolutely. I love that. Um, So I do a little bit of uh, couples coaching on on my one end of my business. in that, I wrote a book um, a few years ago. I wrote I wrote a book called On My Way to Us. And 
it really detailed out, you know, sorry about my cats. I had to leave my door open for anybody watching. I had to leave my door open because my dog is not happy today with me being in my office. And of course, I never have my office door open. So now the cats are like, ooh, mom's free. Um, so I'm just going to get him out and shut the door. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. Um, so when I wrote this book, it was really about what I wanted to create. Um, it was all my past relationships, how those relationships, you know, taught me something that I needed to know going into my marriage now. Now I've been married 13 years. I do not have a perfect marriage. There is no perfect marriage. There is no perfect relationship. Perfection is a myth. Has it been hard work? Absolutely. Has there been times where both of us have thought, oh, well, is this still not, is this so right for us still or no? There's always going to be those questions. Um, my foundations for a relationship really are, number one, knowing that a relationship has three parts. There's your part, your partner's part, and then there's the relationship itself. And what we do, it's like having a joint checking account or a joint account in the bank, right? Each of you are bringing something in, putting money into that joint account to pay for your for your life, pay for your vacations, your mortgage, the kids, anything that you've got going on, you're both putting into that. The same thing goes for a relationship. So what I notice a common mistakes, and we'll get to that in a second, are, and this goes hand in hand again with the foundations, is when I looked for my ideal partner or my ideal relationship when I created the space for love it was not about them it had nothing to do with them it had everything to do with me how I wanted to feel how I wanted to be treated um it didn't matter whether he had kids it didn't matter if he was divorced it didn't matter what kind of job he had or what kind of finances he had it was how he made me feel that I needed to feel and that was a huge one for me. And I think a lot of people growing up with Disney, um, as most of us did in our generation, we were taught we needed to pick Mr. Tolbert and Handsome. We needed Mr. Prince Charming. And in my experience, not always, um, but sometimes when we went for those aspects or those lists that we created of what we needed from that partner, they were un un unavailable emotionally. They were not committed. They were not ready for a relationship or, or numerous other things. So understanding that the first part of a healthy foundation is knowing what do I want, right? What am I bringing? How am I going to be a, a good partner? How, what do I need from my partner? What do I want from the relationship itself and building there first? One million percent. Everything you said is correct. <laughs> <laughs> Interdependence is so important. And when we are talking, you know, you're talking about Disney, really all the dramas, the rom-coms, all that stuff that we see, it is it is really, really important for us to understand that TV, music, uh, movies, it is for entertainment purposes only. And I kind of wish they put like a warning label like they do on cigarettes. Like, do not take this as real life example. This is for entertainment purposes only because we really have a bad image of what relationships should look like. Now we have all of the, you know, um, wives of Beverly Hills or whatever these sort of uh, reality TV shows 
are um, with a lot of theatrics, a lot of screaming, you know, secrecy and what you should do and all of these things. And they're wonderful for entertainment. I never want to watch a show where two people sit down and they work successfully through their problems. I mean, how boring would that be, right? I want to do that in my relationship, but I don't want to see that on TV. I want to see the theatrics because they're interesting. They're dramatic. They pull at your heartstrings. Um, but when we're in a relationship, we really have to understand this idea of two become one. You're my better half. I'm nothing without you. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. We should never think like that because it doesn't work. As you said, when we go into a relationship, we have to practice interdependence. That means I have a strong sense of self and I nurture my relationship because exactly what you said. There are three entities in a thriving relationship. There's partner one, partner two, and the couple. And we really have to nurture three different entities, not just one, because I am my own person. I'm always going to be Riley. I'm never going to be anything else but Riley. And my husband is going to be Eric. And then together we are Riley and Eric, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Molinario. We have that entity of the relationship. But when you can see them as three separate things, it brings about compassion, empathy, understanding, respect. I'm going to be my own person. And so is my husband. And we respect each other's differences. As you said, when you get into the relationship, you have your non-negotiables, right? You understand who you are, what you need, what you want, what you're willing to give, what kind of partner you want to be, all of those things, right? But then everything else is about compromise, negotiation, brainstorming, it's working together. Mm -hmm. And recognizing that sometimes you're going to disagree and sometimes you have to work through those disagreements through compromise and negotiation, but sometimes you can allow each other to have differences. Mm -hmm. My husband and I, we love health and fitness, but we don't exercise together because he loves CrossFit and sorry, calisthenics. Um, and I love Muay Thai and swimming. So it's okay to be different sometimes. So understanding when we have to agree, right? On children, are we going to get married? Where are we going to live? Um, and sometimes we don't have to agree, you know, so really being able to balance interdependence is is really a skill that power couples master. And it is such a freeing and beautiful thing to have. Yep. Um, I'm going to shamelessly plug this for a second. But talking about that, the seven things that can destroy any relationship, that's that comes next. Right. That's the. I, I don't know how many relationships I've seen, even just throughout my entire life, right? And I'm I'm 40 next year. So in the 40 years that I've been alive, the amount of relationships that I've seen that have failed by miscommunication, by the little things that I talk about in the seven things that can destroy any relationship is staggering. And one of those things, like you said, it's okay to disagree. It's also okay to get mad at each other. Um, I'm mad at my husband right now. I am totally, totally cheesed with my husband right now. <clears throat> and that's okay. Because I know that later today, if not tomorrow, because everybody's got the day off tomorrow, um, we will be sitting down and having a discussion. Because I, <clears throat> we both facilitate, we don't like sitting in anger. So for he knows that I need to for a little while just to process and, and get that through. But that's, that comes with another foundation is knowing how your other, your partner needs safety and, and, and security. Right. Um, when I came into this relationship, I'm volatile and vindictive. When I feel backed into a corner, I am nasty. 
I don't care that I love you. My goal is to hurt you um, because I'm hurting. That is, I have that instinctual, I know to control it. So <clears throat> you can ask my children, you can ask my husband, when, when I'm cranky or when I'm angry, what do you need to do? I'm, I put myself on a timer, right? And I say, I don't want to say or do anything that's going to hurt you. I need, I need some space. And they give that to me. Um, took many years to get there, but, but they give that to me. But one of the other things, uh, and the reason that I was going this way is love, right? Everybody wants to feel loved. Everybody, you know, and the five love languages. Sorry, I was kind of going all over in my head there for a second. The five love languages. One of the biggest miscommunications that we have is that, you know, we're very strong. We're very self-assured individuals, right? I am Melissa. I'm not Tom's wife. I am, but that's not my identity. I am Melissa. And if I go in and I say, okay, my love language, my main love language is physical contact. It is affection and physical contact. That's, that's what I need to thrive. That's what I require to thrive. Where my husband's is gifts of service. So complete polar opposites. When I don't receive gifts of affection or physical contact, that puts me or, or I allow it to put me into a state of discontent. But I don't blame him for that. Because I turn around <clears throat> and I notice that I never have to worry about my car because he takes care of everything when it comes to my car. I don't complain about the garbage not being taken out or I'm the one who doesn't do 90% of the cleaning. My husband does a lot of cleaning. He does a lot of, he takes care of everything around the house. I don't have to do that. That's his way of showing me he loves me is by providing those services for me mm -hmm. right so a lot of that I think that's one of the biggest things about you know foundations of a relationship is knowing your partner knowing yourself yeah. and what you need knowing your partner and what they need creating the compromise and the compassion and the understanding and having that communication to say okay you know I've gone up to my husband and said you know what I'm feeling really neglected and I'm not putting that on you but I'm feeling really neglected I need some some attention Right. I need to sit and stumble and watch a movie or, you know, rub my hand because I absolutely adore it when he rubs my palm. It's like soothing the savage beast. I don't know what it is, but, <laughs> you know, finding those little things and understanding that the way that you need to be loved. You can't expect somebody else to provide you with that. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of relationships fail because of that. Well, I need gifts of, you know, gifts of service. Well, I show you I love you in different ways. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, everything you just talked about is relationship intelligence. The first part is about I. So it's self-awareness and self-management. Exactly what you said. I tend to do this. And so I know myself. So I feel those feelings coming up of I'm about to rage. I'm about to get an attitude. How can I manage that? I can put myself in a timeout because I know that self-soothing behavior I was the same. I grew up because of the way that I grew up. I, I was in a very neglectful and abusive household. I ended up having severe anxiety and depression. I now can say that I'm out of that, but I always have a sensitivity to it. I have to be really careful to be very aware of myself and my emotions. Lots of self-soothing where my husband, he grew up in a very loving household 
hold. So he he's the calmest person I've ever met. Um, and so I understand that if I'm too, you know, if I'm too stressed, I have too much work, I'm not taking care of myself that much, or, you know, I have a lot on my plate, million things going on, that that those feelings of anxiety can come up very quickly. So I'm aware of those. So when when I feel them coming up, I say, oh, I need to take action. And that's the self-management. How can I relax myself? I do meditation and go for a run, call a friend, you know, read a magazine. So really just being able to control yourself. It's like training yourself. You know, we train uh, dogs, we train children, you know, we raise them, we make sure that they, that they're high functioning people and and animals. And so the same for us, we want to make sure that we are high functioning. We recognize those emotions. We react to those emotions in productive ways, because just because you're feeling rage doesn't mean you have to break something. It doesn't mean you have to throw something. It doesn't mean you have to scream at someone and say, oh, well, I was feeling rage. Mm -hmm. You get to choose, right? And the same for me. I suffered for so many years with anxiety, but I recognized, okay, I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling severely anxious. Even in those moments that I had panic attacks, I would say, okay, I'm having a panic attack. But even being in that moment and recognizing, oh, this is a panic attack. How am I going to respond to my panic attack? Because my panic attack is not me. My anxiety is not me. It's something happening to me. So once I am aware of it in the moment, and then I respond to it, even if my response is like, I'm having a panic attack. Okay, I'll be fine. I'll have it. I'll sit here. I'll go through it and I'll be fine. It's fine. Even even just allowing it to happen, but not getting afraid of it, not becoming afraid of it, not becoming overwhelmed. Oh, I'm having a panic attack because that just makes it worse. Right. So I ended up just learning how to say, okay, this is happening. All right. How do I want to respond? Well, I can't really do much because my body is clenched and my heart is pumping and I'm sweating. And so how am I going to respond? I'm simply just going to let it pass. So being able to manage those emotions in a productive way, that's the first part. The second part is everything you just said. It's how do I manage the relationship between me and my partner? So that relationship awareness is being aware of your partner, the way that they like to show love, the things that stress them out, when they're feeling happy, when they're feeling sad, when they, you know, if they have a a mean look on their face, is it because they're a jerk or is it because they've had a bad day? you know, reading into them. We're not mind readers, right? But we can, after a certain amount of time, we can get to know our partner and we become aware of them and aware of the relationship. And then we can use the relationship management to say, okay, how do I respond to my partner? And how do I respond to the relationship? So if you and your partner, you know, you haven't had sex in six months, you can say, okay, I noticed that we haven't had sex right? Now, how am I going to respond to that? Some people will start to complain. They'll start to pick fights. They'll go have sex with someone else. You know, they'll just ignore their partner, grow distance, or we can communicate, right? You get to choose. So if I notice something in my relationship, how am I going to respond? And I get to choose how I respond, right? Exactly, exactly what you said. And respond rather than react. So for anybody who hasn't watched the show long enough to know that I will always say the difference. A reaction is an emotional instant reaction. It is instinctual and it is emotional. A response is a logical response to something that actually provides a solution or progress. Progress. It doesn't even need to be a solution. Progress. Um, But a reaction does not help you at all. That actually makes things 10 times worse. 
one of the things that I wanted to touch on that you had mentioned was, you know, if let's go with the anxiety, because that was, you know, you, that example was amazing. If you're about to have an anxiety attack or you're feeling very anxious, you know, we train ourselves what to do and we do learn and, and our partners do learn what our triggers are, what signs that we're about to have this attack, right? We learn them, but they also do as well. One of the things I wanted to mention though is communication around that, right? Literally, you ask any of my immediate family, what do you do when mom's really angry? And every single one of them, leave her alone. Leave her alone to deal with it. They know. So they provide me what I need because I've taught them that. I've told them that. <clears throat> A lack of communication or relationship management is not telling somebody that. And then getting angry, like the no sex for six months. That's another huge one, right? If you don't tell somebody that their behavior or that their lack of behavior is impacting you, then they don't know that. They don't assume that their lack of interest or their lack of attention is going to harm you if you don't tell them, mm -hmm. right? So healthy communication, that's a huge foundation right, is communicate what you need, communicate what doesn't work for you, what, you know, what you're feeling, how to, you know, help you or assist you through something that may be going on with you. Absolutely. And, you know, I hear so many times people say, well, I'm a great communicator, but my partner isn't. And I say, hold on a second. Are you a great communicator with yourself? Because a commu communication is a two-way street. So we need someone to communicate with. So you can say, I'm a great speaker. I'm a great listener. But when we're talking about communication, it's that third entity. It's the couple. So as a couple, do you have effective communication or do you not? It takes two to tango because it's a back and forth. And so a lot of times we we just don't know what effective communication looks like. We don't know um, <clears throat> how it works. And so I explain to people when we're trying to have a, a conversation and it's always more difficult when it's something sensitive, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to understand that there's two jobs and we have to choose one at a time because we always try to both be the speaker, right? It's like, you're trying to explain something to me and I say, but no, I didn't, but why would you say that? And, you know, because our attention spans are very, very short. We have about 10 seconds when we start to get that excitement of listening before we start to think about what we want to say next and before we start to interject. So we really have to say, am I the speaker or am I the listener? And if I'm the speaker, as you said, being comfortable, feeling that there's a safe space, that you can express yourself honestly, that you can express yourself openly, and you can express yourself in a way that your partner can understand, right? And as the listener, which is the harder of the two jobs, because no one wants to be the listener, it's practicing that active listening, listening with the intent to understand. And a lot of times when we don't hear what we want to hear, when our partner is saying something we don't agree with, we, we completely shut up, shut off. It's like, I can't hear you anymore. Right. And so continuing to 
to listen with the intent to understand. That is the job of the listener, simply to understand. And people say all the time, I don't understand you. I don't understand why you would do that. I, you don't understand me. You don't understand what I'm saying. What does it mean to understand? Understanding is simply, I am aware of what it is that you're telling me. I'm aware of the situation. I can comprehend what it is that you're saying. Mm -hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that I agree or disagree with you. Those things are separate. And that's what we have to understand is that I can understand exactly what you're saying and disagree with everything. Those two things can happen at the same time. But understanding is simply I comprehend what you're trying to tell Acknowledging. me. Acknowledgement and accepting it as truth. This is the hard one. Mm -hmm. Because if I don't agree, it means it's not true. But hold on a second. Again, we're two different people having two different experiences with two different perspectives. As long as you trust your partner, because if you don't, that's a different conversation. But if you trust your partner, then you have to trust what they're telling you is their truth. It's their experience. It's what they feel. Even if you disagree, you can have your own truth, right? This is how I see it. This is what I experience. This is what I think. But I accept that what you're telling me is what you think what you feel, what you perceive, you may be mistaken, right? You may look at the sky and see pink. And six. I see blue, um, right? Everybody watching or catching the replay, make sure that you take a piece of paper and sit down across from somebody and write down a six and ask the other person across from you what they see. They're going to see a nine. Yeah. Neither one of you are wrong. Neither one of you are right. It's my view, your view. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we have to realize we are just having one perspective of this life. What I feel, what I smell, what I think, what I taste, what I, you know, my husband, he eats the strangest things. I'm telling you, we'll eat the same thing, but then he'll put ketchup on it or he'll put, but weird things. He'll put like, he eats rice cakes with mayonnaise. Like just strange. And I'm like, how can you eat that? It's disgusting. Right. <laughs> and and I kind of poke fun at him, but he likes it. He's like, no, it tastes great. He puts ketchup on broccoli and you know. And so this to me is a reminder that one thing can taste delicious to someone and taste disgusting to another because we're different. And that's okay. We don't want to be in a relationship with someone who's exactly like us. Like, how boring would that be? You agree with everything that I say. You don't have any insight that I don't already have. You want exactly what I want. So you don't stimulate different and new ideas. We would we would be so bored. We would be out the door. Right? I we the want race differences. And when we have differences of opinion and we have different perspectives, it challenges us. We need to have, we really, you know, when we talk about the human the basic human needs. We need in a relationship safety and comfort, right? You want to feel trust. You want to feel that there's a safe space. But if you only have that, you're going to be bored out of your mind. Mm -hmm. So we also need the stimulation. We need someone who challenges us, who makes us think. Together as a couple in this partnership, we brainstorm, we compromise, you know, we stimulate the brain. We need to have those two at the same time. So when we have differences of opinion, it's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing, we need that. We do. I watched a, I watched a Facebook video the other day and it was a woman who had called 911, her husband fell off a boat, all of this thing. She ended up killing him. Um, 
And what it was is that she had um, fraudulently stolen, embezzled a ton of money um, to support her children who were adults. And everybody who commented on their relationship was it was perfect. They were always complimenting each other. They never fought nothing. And you find out later on that she actually um, had killed him for the money to pay her restitution when she got caught because she had already gotten caught. And two, because she was terrified of him finding out what she had done. Mm. Right. So it's, you know, I think we need to experience every level of a relationship to create that security. Right. When you have your first fight or first argument and you're able to work through that, that strengthens that relationship, right? My husband and I, our first year together was filled, filled with traumas. Um, there was suicide. There was like, we had a lot of things go on within the first year of our marriage. And it was very heavy and, and very, you know, um, very overwhelming. But we went through it. Right. And this 13 years later, we're almost at 14 years married. So we've had that experience. You mentioned listening. Um, and that is one of my relationship killers is not listening. But <laughs> there are three ways. We <laughs> and we listen. Um, if you're listening and you're just nodding your head going, yeah, 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 because you want to you want to make the other piece person feel like you're actually listening but you're not that's the first style of listening the second style of listening is sitting there and um while the other person's talking you're you're thinking about your responses right your reaction and your responses you're not actually listening to what they're saying you're listening to what they're saying to cultivate your response or your defense the third part is listening without judgment that is purely listening to the other person talk, checking their emotions, checking what they're actually saying and saying, oh, you know, I never thought of it that way. You don't have to agree. But again, like like really Riley said, you need to understand, right? You need to acknowledge that that other person has a belief that's different than yours or has a valid claim on how they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. And you don't need to take offense to that. If I turned to Riley and said, Riley, you said this and it really bugged me. Right. You don't have to take that as me going, it's all your fault. Mm -hmm. It's, oh, hey, I never realized that. You know, I never knew that that phrase bugged you or I never knew that that word bugged you. Right. Like you bugging your husband about the mayo on on rice cakes. Right. If he turned around and got offended by that, you know. Yeah. Neither one of you would be wrong as long as he vocalizes it and says, yeah. you know what, I really don't like when you say, when you bug me about what I eat, right? right. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. that's where, that's when we, that's when we have a starting point. So this is how we start to have an easier relationship. When we start with understanding, we can then go to the next step of brainstorming, compromise, and negotiation. Because if we don't even understand, nothing's going to happen. Nothing can come if I don't even know what you're saying and you don't even know what I'm feeling, right? Nothing can come from that. But at least if we have a starting point of this is what I feel, this is what I think, 
This is what I feel. This is what I think. We both have clarity. Then we start to go through brainstorming, compromise, and negotiation, which is, for example, if Eric got offended and said, you know, Riley, I really don't like when you when you make fun of the things that I eat. It really bothers me. It makes me feel bad. It makes me feel like I'm weird or something like that. Then we can say, so I can say, well, I, I'm only joking. You know, I, I'm just poking fun, right? That's my perspective. And his perspective is regardless of whether you're poking fun, I feel uncomfortable. We both understand, right? So what do we do after that? we decide what we're going to do from there. So I can say, well, I have the right to say what I want, which is true. And I'm going to continue because it makes me feel good to poke fun of you. I could say that, right? And he can continue to feel bad. But as a person who loves him, I have to ask myself, is that joke worth making my partner feel bad? I, I get to choose, right? And in that moment, if I'm showing compassion and respect and all of those things, I realized, well, there's many other things I can joke about. You know, why not make a joke that we can both laugh at? And I've had this question come up so many times with clients where a, a, often it's women, because I usually I have the first contact with with women and they'll ask me, you know, my my partner makes jokes about me about my weight, the way that I dress, the things that I do, and it makes me feel really uncomfortable. Am I overreacting? And I go through that exact example, your part, if you express to your partner that that makes you feel uncomfortable, right, and really they're laughing by themselves, it's really important for them to ask themselves, is this joke where I'm laughing by myself, right, is that worth my partner feeling bad, even if I think it's funny, even if it's not a big deal to me, because there's other options, I can make that joke when I'm by myself, right, and laugh by myself, since I'm laughing by myself anyway. Or I can find things that we can both laugh about, things that we both find funny. So this is when we start to do the compromise, the brainstorming. We think we we can write lists, we can figure things. It's like a puzzle, right? And we start to balance compassion and, and respect and freedom. Because again, I have the freedom to say whatever it is that I want. But do is that a moment where I want to express that freedom or do I want to express compassion? I don't know. What's important to me in that moment? Mm -hmm. So that's when we start to move and groove and start to figure out. And at the end of the day, when you love your partner, both of you will make the right choice. You will both make the right choice. You will find that way. When you're not thinking about, I want to be right. My partner is wrong. I want to win. They have to give me something in order for me to win. When you think about the values of the relationship and your values and their compassion, respect, understanding, connection, you will find that 99% of the time you're actually on the same page. Yeah. Um, I think freedom of speech. Uh, one of the things I wanted to mention, freedom of speech is... Um, beneficial in a lot of ways no no doubt about that but when it comes to a situation like that I think freedom of speech becomes a I'm, I'm not going to say a cop-out but uh at the same time right even if it's not a romantic relationship that we're talking about even it's not even if it's not something of uh, uh, hey I love you it's a respect thing right um if somebody says to you that something that you've said um, offends them, acknowledge that, you know, you didn't mean to offend them, right? Always, always acknowledge that they're hurt 
that something you did hurt them and apologize for that. Even while, you know, if somebody comes up to me and says, Melissa, you know, you said this word and it really offends me. I'm going to go, you know what? I'm sorry that that offended you. That was not my intention. Right. Mm -hmm. I will try in the future, not say that word around or, Mm -hmm. or whatever that looks like. Right. My mama cannot stand my swearing. So I don't swear around her. Right. (laughs) Um, and it, it does depend on, on the way you feel about that person, but making sure that, you know, your beliefs and your opinion, they don't always need to be shared. They do in relationships because you do need to share your thoughts, your opinions, your perspectives to create a a happier, healthier relationship, right. And create that, that communication foundation. Um, all right. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we get going? Um, well, I just want to thank you for having this conversation with me. And it's it's really exciting to hear everything that you're saying, because I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I'm always talking about. So it's it's fantastic to hear that bounced off of someone else who really understands how this works. And um, I think it's amazing what you're doing. So thank you for having this conversation with me today. Well, thank you for joining me. I really appreciated it. And it is it is nice to know that um, we're not the only people trying to change the way that relationships work, the way that, you know, our identities are the, you know, I, we all need to find people who understand or even will listen to what we have to say. And even if it makes a difference for one person or one couple, that's, that, that matters. So that's what the show is all about is making, giving people something to talk about, right? Giving you something to talk about. That's the title. So, all right. Um, thank you again, Riley, for joining me today. I hope you had uh, a wonderful time. And if anybody watching would like to get a hold of either myself or Riley, you can do so. Our links are in the description of this episode. So go and check her out. Um, go and check out the seven Oh, I have to pull it up now because apparently seven things that can destroy any relationship. Go and pull that up. That's from our sponsors of Phoenix Identity. Link in the description. Um, Relationship killers. Go and look at those because, you know, they're pretty easy and they happen all the time without us even knowing. So go and check that out. If you'd like to be a guest speaker or if you want to see a topic featured on the show, please reach out to us at justalivetv.com. Like, follow and share the show. And we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.